Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading is taken from Acts chapter 3, verses 17 to 24. This is Peter speaking to the Israelites. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago by the holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Good morning, everyone. When the creative team was coming up with an idea for what would feel refreshing for the series that we're doing. Oh, that's a good one. I think someone needs to oil this. The, uh, we thought of this winter scene, because uh, many of us, that kind of first snowfall often has this beauty and refreshing and calm. So I don't know if it was prophetic or causistic to have this here for this morning on the, the day of our actual first snowfall, but I thought that was pretty awesome. I obviously don't think that the creative team doing this caused the snow, but uh, anyway. Uh, let's uh, pray as we begin. Um, God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you this morning. Amen. So, over the past uh, 21 months, well, I should say early in the, these past 24, 21 months, when these first shutdowns occurred, our hurried and frantic pace of life came to a stop. It caused many of us to reflect on the gift uh, that this being forced to stop uh, was. And so we reflected, many of us reflected on this pausing, this force being forced to slow down from our frantic and our hurried lifestyles. And we began to express the desire to keep this newfound, slower and healthier pace of life, even once the pandemic passed. I don't know how many of you kind of made that kind of commitment. I'm not going back to the way that it was. Then, of course, you know, fast forward to just this past September, uh, when we were beginning a life group study on beautiful community, a friend and I were emailing to see what time of week might work for us to do the study together. And as parents of school-aged children, it only took two emails to discover that with children's programming starting to run again, there were actually no evenings that would work for both of us. 
It only took weeks before all of these longings for a peaceful and less frantic life disappeared like a mist. I don't know how many of you that had that, we're, in a, we're not going to go back to that way of life, are already working back to it or have not, maybe even have already gotten back to it. For many of us, we carry not only the stresses and the long-term weight and trauma of the pandemic, but now we also no longer have the space to reflect and to heal and to pause from it. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, the full leadership uh, team of Spring Garden, so uh, our deacons and elders and pastors, we got together and we discussed our experiences and our thoughts around where we are as a church community as well as taking time to hear from God and listening prayer. And there were a few areas we felt that God was leading us to pursue, and uh, we'll be um, finding ways to how to communicate that. There's no, anyway, as, as we move forward. But one of those things was this sense of feeling a need for being recharged, a need for rest and renewal and refreshing of giving place for pause and for recharging in God. And as Sam and I reflected on this, we're also planning for Advent. Uh, for those who don't know, Advent is the Christian season that is before Christmas, where we focus on our longing, on our need for God to come into the world. So Advent, the word means come or coming. Jesus' is coming in the birth of the baby that we celebrate at Christmas, Advent is a time of looking forward and longing for that. It is also a time of looking forward to the second coming of Jesus when he comes again to restore all things to himself. So we're in this kind of a weird time zone where we're kind of pretending like Jesus wasn't born, but we're also living in the fact that he was born and we are looking forward to him coming again. And while Sam and I were reflecting on the need for renewal and refreshing during Advent, it really struck us how our culture's celebration of Advent is the opposite of renewal and refreshing and rest. Instead, it is about shopping and consuming and events and frantic, nonstop busyness. When oppositely, the coming of Jesus is meant to be life-giving and refreshing. So, for this Advent season, this is why we are focusing on how this time of year can be a time of refreshing. Now, a little advertisement, pause for advertisement. Uh, this Advent, we are trying to make space for us for, to experience refreshment. So, on December 12th, we're having our annual Light of the World, which for those of you who like loud music and singing and being with others, this is refreshing, a fun Christmas celebration. But December 19th, we're going to be having what's called a Blue Christmas. And so this is a worship space designed to provide place for those who are grieving or who find the holidays hard. So it'll be a place where we can come and find refreshment by simply coming as we are and expressing grief or sadness and pain and giving it to God as, we, as part of our journey. We'll also, of course, have Christmas Eve worship on the 24th to give quiet, uh, reflective space to hear and reflect on the birth of Jesus. And uh, commercial done. Now, as we were planning for a Sunday morning Advent series, naturally we thought, you know, what a better way to start a series on refreshing than starting with sin. 
Y'all ready for some fun? Yes, I was being sarcastic and no, well, I wasn't joking about having fun by sinning or uh, by having fun by talking about sin, but anyway, all joking aside, we are starting by looking at sin, but stick with me and hopefully uh, we'll see why this topic can be refreshing. And if not, um, you can, I don't know, throw snowballs at me later or something, I don't know. So the reason we're starting with sin is because of where in the Bible it actually talks about times of refreshing coming from the Lord. So this is a section in the biblical book called Acts uh, that Karen read for us. Uh, As she read Acts 3 verse 19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Repent then and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out, the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now to give some biblical context, When we look at this big story of the Bible, it starts with uh, the Old Testament, and that goes from God creating everything, and God choosing, then God choosing Israel to be his people, and then all of the ups and downs of their story. Uh, Then the last kind of few hundred years of the Old Testament, it sees the northern part of Israel is taken into captivity by the Assyrians, and then the southern part of Israel, which is called Judah, which is where the word, uh, where we get Jew from, Judah, is taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And so when the Old Testament wraps up, many Jews have actually, it's a time when many Jews have been able to return from their exile in uh, Babylon. And they return to their city, uh, capital city of Jerusalem to rebuild. So the period of time that's following this is often called Second Temple Judaism. And this is because the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians when they came. And then after, not long actually, after the Babylons took them into exile, they were allowed to return and to rebuild a second temple, which happened in 515 BC. So hence Second Temple Judaism, right? They've built their second temple. Second temple Judaism goes from, well, from, you know, it's kind of around the end of the Old Testament. There's a little bit of hints of it, but most of it is actually happening during the uh, silent period of time between when the Old Testament ends and it goes actually past when the New Testament is written uh, after then that the temple is then destroyed by uh, the Romans. and so this period, Second Temple Jerusalem, Second Temple Judaism, is where the New Testament begins, uh, and it's kind of you know at the, near the end of the Second Temple Judaism time. And the New Testament, then of course, so we have the Old Testament, this kind of silence. New Testament begins with four different accounts of the birth of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We call them the Gospels. One of these accounts is what we call the Gospel of Luke. And surprisingly, the Gospel of Luke is written by a follower of Jesus named Luke. Uh, 
They're not super creative in their titles, but that's to help us out so that we uh, don't get confused. But. So then after we have these Gospels, we have the book of Acts. And Acts is a book which Luke, the same guy, he wrote Acts kind of as a sequel to his Gospel. So now the story changes from being about Jesus' life, death and resurrection, to how the church grew and spread out into the world, or into in, this place, in their case, the Roman Empire, in that first half century after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. Everyone following? Some of us, this is old stuff. Some of us, this is new. Uh, so then, so we've come through the Gospels. Acts is the story of the followers of Jesus. And then after that, in the Bible, in the New Testament, we have all these letters that are written by followers of Jesus. Uh, most of them kind of overlap with the story of Acts. Uh, um, yeah, so they, we have fancy people call these letters epistles, um, but they're, they're letters. So now, as we've talked about fairly recently, a big piece of this whole overall story is that the people of God, God's chosen people, it begins with God choosing this small nation of Israel to give witness to who God is and what it means to live God's way. But the greater purpose of, but it's done with the greater purpose of this people is to become a blessing to all of the nations. Where God's purpose is, is to bring everyone in all of creation, not just the small uh, community, uh, to bring everyone in creation into divine love and community. So that is a theme that runs all through this story. And a big piece of the book of Acts is that it shows the growth of the church from being primarily Jewish followers of Jesus to spreading out to non-Jews, what the Bible calls Gentiles. The word Gentiles essentially just means everyone who isn't Jewish. Now, we're going to go back <laughs> To the history again, and there's another theme that runs through this whole story, and that is this thing called sin. Shortly after the first humans even came into existence, sin entered the world when humans decided to put their own desires above their relationship with God, above their relationship with each other, and with all of creation. And so throughout this story, we see the terrible results of human sin, the continual choice of humans to sin. But we also see God's redeeming work in the world as God interacts and works uh, despite of and because of not just sin, but because of his love. Now, as we come to talk about this thing called sin, if your first thought is to define sin as, say, doing bad things, you know, immoral actions like stealing or lying or cheating on your taxes, selfishness. Uh, well, there is truth to that. It is a very narrow understanding of what sin is. And as we see in a lot of even our Christmas music, the idea that sin is just this like, not a Christmas carols, but Christmas music. The idea that, that sin is something that just keeps us from having fun. Or enjoying the, the more spicy things in life. Now this is not, of course, what sin actually uh, is all about. So let's try to, if that's kind of how you're thinking of sin, let's try to just leave that aside for a moment. 
And one of the reasons why I wanted to highlight this history of God's story in the Bible is because in the Bible, what sin is, you know, a lot of us who have thought about sin, we just think we have this idea of what it is, and we assume that's what it's always kind of been understood. But in the Bible, as the God's story moves, what sin is, or perhaps better to say how God's people have understood and communicated what sin is, it actually changes with time and with language throughout the story. So this idea of sin itself is a very abstract concept. And so like any abstract idea, for humans to talk about it, we have to use metaphors. We, use, we need to use images or stories to make a comparison or highlight certain parts of an abstract idea. And sin is no different. The Bible itself, anytime it talks about sin, is actually using metaphors to talk about it. One metaphor is that sin is like a stain that won't wash out. Only God, you know, the capital M, Mr. Clean, can remove the stain. You know, we have verses like, Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Get it? White as snow? That actually wasn't a purpose, but, a po- but it, eh, there you go. Sin, though, as we know, isn't actually a stain in a fabric. It's simply a metaphor that helps us, gives us a picture of what this abstract idea of sin is. And while there are many metaphors for sin in the Bible, there are three main metaphors that change with language and with time. So to give credit where credit is due, or if you things go horribly sideways for me this morning, you can put blame where blame was due. <laughs> I'm leaning heavily on an Old Testament scholar named Gary Anderson and his book called Sin, a history. If you're, sounds terrible, but it's actually a fantastic read, but anyway. So when we go back to ancient Israel and the Old Testament, before Second Temple Judaism, the main word for where our English translations say sin is the Hebrew word chata. And it, it does carry the connotation of going astray, but the main meaning behind this word is weight. Or burden. So anytime you read the word sin in the Old Testament, except for a couple of verses in Isaiah, for us it just says sin, but in the Hebrew it actually has this weight. So anytime you read the Old Testament and you read sin, you need to picture this weight. It is something that is heavy. So picture a person bent low from a great weight on their shoulders. Now, one uh, religious practice of the Jews that portrays this very powerfully uh, is called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And this is where once a year a high priest would take a goat, and it's what they call a scapegoat. If you're ever wondering where the term scapegoat comes from, this is where it comes from. Symbolically, they would place the, this weight of sin, they would place uh, all of the sins, the weight of Israel is going astray. They would place all of the weight on this poor goat. And then the goat would be sent, and the goat would carry the sins of Israel out into the wilderness. And the wilderness is a place that's kind of considered to be the furthest you could get from God. That's why Jesus, uh, in his temptations, goes into the wilderness. That's kind of as far as you can get from God. And this goat carries the weight, the burden of Israel's sin off and away from God. 
So this metaphor of sin as a weight or a burden is the main metaphor for sin all the way until we come to the Babylonian exile, that second temple, Judaism. Now, because the Jews were now living amongst the people with a different language, their Hebrew was replaced by Aramaic. And so during the second temple Judaism time, this is, and this is why I told you all that history, <laughs> during the second temple Judaism, the Jews spoke Aramaic, which was the language that Jesus and all of his first followers spoke, whereas predominantly, they were all predominantly Aramaic Jews. So if we want to understand Jesus, we need to not just focus on the Greek, which is the rest of the New Testament, but we need to understand how Jesus thought in Aramaic. Anyone who speaks two languages knows you think in one language, right? And sometimes speak in another. Well, Jesus thought in Aramaic. So with this change of language comes a shift in the main metaphor for the concept of sin. It, mor it morphs from being chata, sin as a weight or a burden, to being Aramaic hove, which means debt. It is something that is owed. It is an obligation that you have to someone else. A debt of owing something for someone, something that you have received. Now, most of us probably when we think of sin, we neither are actually thinking of weight or of debt. But this is how Jesus thought about uh, sin, as a debt. Whenever Jesus talks about sin and all of his Jewish followers, they would have understood, understood sin as a debt. So for those of you who have read the parables in the Gospels, have you ever noticed how many of them are stories of debt? A master goes on a trip and he entrusts his servants with different amounts of money, which he expects return to him and preferably with interest. A landowner has a vineyard who sends his son to collect what the tenants owe him, to collect their debt. Workers are hired to work in a vineyard, but the ones who work longer feel they are owed more than those who work less. This is Jesus' way of talking about the kingdom is to tell stories about debt. Sin is debt, and because of the immensity of the debt that is owed because of our sin, because this debt is so much greater than anything we could ever pay back, we need our debt forgiven. Not by our own work, but by the work of one to whom we are in debt. We are dependent on grace because we could never repay the debt of sin. And this is why in the Gospel of Matthew, when we read the Lord's Prayer, a prayer that was taught, Jesus taught to his disciples. Now the Gospel of Matthew is written in Greek, but Matthew is an Aramaic-speaking Jew, writing to Aramaic-speaking Jews who also read Greek. So he records Jesus as saying, forgive us our debts. As we forgive those, as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us what we owe as we forgive those who owe us something. It's a very different concept of sin than simply being naughty or nice. So now, as the story of God's work moves forward, it now becomes more centered in Greek. And this is where most of us have done most of our thinking about sin, is in the Greek world. It becomes centered on the Greek of the Roman Empire as God's good news of Jesus spreads beyond the borders of Palestine into the world. 
And with this change, the metaphor for sin morphs into a third concept, the Greek word amartia. Now, this is an archery term uh, for missing the mark. So the metaphor is, you know, like an archer. So picture Hawkeye from the Avengers, as I'm sure, you know, half of us are now watching that on Disney+. Plus. Who shoots, this uh, an archer that shoots an arrow, tries to hit a specific point, and unlike Hawkeye, they miss the mark. In the same way that Matthew is writing to Aramaic Jews, Luke, who was not Jewish or likely not Jewish, is writing to Greek Gentiles. And so he doesn't talk about debt. When he talks about sin in his Lord's Prayer, he uses the word missing the mark, armatia. So his Lord prayer says, forgive us our sins or forgive us for missing the mark as we forgive those who miss the mark against us. Ironically, the most common English way of saying the Lord's prayer is using the word trespass, which is actually the furthest possible translation of what Jesus would have actually said. But that's because the idea of trespassing on someone else's land would have been a metaphor that the English speakers would have related to when they translated the Bible into English. So it's not actually a biblical picture. It's an English picture from the time it was translated. Which is why we see this this concept of sin is constantly changing. But it's also why we have such a shallow view of it is because most of us have lost the Hebrew and the Aramaic Jesus's picture of sin. And have replaced it, not even with the Greek concept of sin, but with an English translation, which came a thousand years later. Now, all of these uh, metaphors for sin have a shared truth. And it is that sin is something that destroys, that kills. Sin severs, it tears, it breaks, it deforms. And what it deforms is our relationships. It's our relationships with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with creation, and our relationship with our own selves. Our self-coherence, selves as one thing, cohered, sin breaks it apart. And this is why... Because sin is actually a relational word, this is why Jesus says that all of the Old Testament laws about human morality is summed up simply in loving God and loving others the way that you love yourself. Sin is about fracturing our relationships. And when our relationships are fractured, it places a weight on us. It places us in debt to God and to one another. When you think about broken relationships in your life, it isn't simply a, whoops, I shouldn't have done that, right? It, you can, when you think about it, you can feel the weight on your heart, on your shoulders. I feel it in my chest. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now here's another word we often misuse is this word repent. Often in the church, this word often means simply to confess. So if we say repent, we just think, oh, it just means confess. So say that I'm sorry, right? And ask for forgiveness. But the word repent isn't simply saying, oops, I did this thing and I'm sorry. The word itself actually means to turn away. 
So it's to turn from this one thing that you, you did or didn't do or who, something about yourself. It's actually to turn away. Repent means I see that I shouldn't, this is not healthy. And it is actually a turning away from one thing towards another. So as regards sin, repentance is acknowledging the sin and asking God's forgiveness and turning away from the sin towards God. Repentance is not just being sorry for things that cause harm to our relationships, but to actually change direction and to turn towards restoration and transformation. So now let's take all of these things. Like I know I've been throwing a lot at you. There's a lot of different layers that are going along. Let's take all of these things. Repentance is turning away from sin towards God. Sin is fracturing relationships with God, each other, creation, and ourselves. And sin is a weighty burden and a debt that we incur. And let's read that verse again. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. So that the weight may be lifted off you. So that the debts that you owe to God and to others may be forgiven. And that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And here's where the refreshing comes in. If you think about repenting and turning to sin as simply about the hard work of it, and it is hard work, if you think about of what you're giving up or, or the effort you need to do, you're, you know, you're giving up, say, a pleasure or selfishness or, or whatever you think positive comes from sin. If you think turning from it is hard, I can assure you, as challenging as it can be, much, much worse is the weight of sin in broken relationships, the weight of isolation, of regret, of shame, of fragmented, torn apart, deformed within yourself. It is much heavier. The debt is far worse than the work of turning to God. The burdenful cost of debt that you owe others that makes you hang your head and avoid eye contact. The burden of holding on to debt of what other people owe you in unforgiveness that crushes your soul and keeps you from being able to trust and connect with others. That's the hard way to live. But living a life of repentance, of turning away from what fractures us from God, what fractures us from others and from creation and within ourselves, and instead turning towards God, which means turning towards other creation and turning towards ourselves in forgiveness and love. Yes, it takes time and effort, but this is the way to receive God's gracious gift of freedom. This is the way to receive the refreshment, the lightness of the weight being lifted off of us. Repentance is the way to accept the gift of the weight that has been crushing you being lifted off of your shoulders so that you can stand tall with lightness, with freedom. Repentance is the way to receive the gift of God moving the burden of debt, removing the burden of debt for the ways that you have fragmented your relationships, the burdensome anger and resentment that comes from not letting go of what other people owe you, Repentance is the way to let go of this, to forgive it, to take a deep breath, a sigh of relief. And of course, it's a gift. It is just that, a gift. And this is why the world needs Jesus to come. 
to carry the weight of sin out into the wilderness, to forgive the debt that we owe, to bring our fractured selves and relationships back into restoration, reconciling, reformation, transformation. This is why repenting and turning to God that our sins may be wiped out is where we find renewal. It's where we find refreshing. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, comes to our fractured world to lift off the burden of sin, to offer forgiveness of our debt that we may live transformed lives that reflect his forgiveness and grace in the world. I'm uh, going to end by giving you a few moments of quiet to lay before God perhaps any, any you know, sin or weight or debt of broken relationship that is weighing you down or keeping you in debt or perhaps something that someone else owes you that is weighing on you. Uh, to take a few moments to ask God if there's any of these things so that we can confess and repent and that God will lift it off of your shoulders. And we're going to end the silence by saying the Lord's Prayer together. And we're going to do uh, the version that has the word um, debt. I figured, hey, why not? So let's just take a few moments uh, of silence. Let's pray the uh, uh, Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who owe us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.